Hey everybody, it's Moscow here, and before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to remind you all that a great way to support the Brewing Network is by shopping on Amazon. Just go to thebrewingnetwork.com and click on the Amazon link and then do all your shopping as normal. You won't even know we're there, but Amazon gives us a little cut of everything you buy, and it goes a long way to helping keep the lights on around here. So many of you are already doing it, and for that we offer our sincere thanks. Keep it up, and if you're not doing it, a pox on you and everyone in your family. Thanks in advance. Enjoy the show. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, it's that time to scoot my beer a little closer to me. Setting one in here for a Q&A show. This is, a, what beer is in front of you? This is, I... Russian River Goffers Bitter? I think that, I, get Gaffers, Goffers? I'm not sure what, it's new. Yeah. I've never heard of it. It's amazing. We got a new Russian River beer on. We got two new Rare Barrel beers on. You know, that wasn't the, I don't know what you're talking about, but... In, I mean, our, I mean, on here in the studio, we're we're sitting yes, out in of the a studio. bottle that you brought. That's because that's where we are. I just use it as a general, you know. But the beer's on. That just means I got the beer in front of me. Welcome to know? the sour hour, by the way. But and uh, <laughs> but the thing that struck me is uh, White Labs, White Labs IPA. There's some other White Labs beers on tap in the studio. Yeah. Um, for yeah. our consumption only. They did the session and they brought in a bunch of their experimental beers. And oh, see, you know, I heard that they kind of came in and announced uh, their new strains, the vault, all that stuff. Um, but I didn't know they were on the session. I guess it's not posted yet, but that'll be a good one. Just on Monday. Great. I'm sure by the time you're hearing this, it will have long since been posted. Awesome. Speaking of the session, you should listen to that session. You should. And also Dr. Homebrew. That too. Underrated. You know what else is underrated? <laughs> Brewing with Style. And even more underrated, Brew Strong. Listen to all those shows because they're on the Brewing Network family of shows. No rivalries. We're all, we're all getting along. Not challenging them to a fight. No. But I will I will cut them. Underrated. Definitely one of those. Uh, <laughs> that was you channeled Bevo right there for a second. Ooh. Cutting people. Oh, hey, Bevo, by the way. Hi. Hi. Not not participating a lot in the last no, couple of not shows. As, not as much. I was listening to a show, uh, re-listening to a show. I think it was, um, boy, who was on? Uh, Tim from Sante. Tim Clifford. Yep. And uh, Bevo pr- just didn't even say anything for the show, but she chimed in two times just laughing at me. And see, that was like the perfect, <laughs> that was the perfect amount of contribution we're looking for. I have to like for. turn my microphone on. It must have been good because I had to turn my microphone on yeah. to laugh at you. Right. Yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it was, you embarrassed me. I embarrassed you. With just like a, <laughs> oh, a little, a little dumb, a little kaffa. Yeah, that's, that is what's funny. She, her mic's not on all the time. She has to reach over and turn it on. Yeah. Kaffa and then turn it back yeah, off. Yeah, so I had to, I had to think about judging yeah, pu- you. Yeah, pulling back the curtain. Yeah, you have to, uh, you know, make your mic hot and then right. exactly. continue your laugh yes. into it to make a point of your laughter. It'll be well. That's how much you wanted to embarrass me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's like listening to the show over and yeah. over crying. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Such a jerk. Yeah. Bebo was mean to me. 
But anyway, we're here with Bevo and Scott, and we're here with you. Glad you're listening to the show. If you're listening live, give us a call. We got a lot of calls on uh, our last show. Is it going to be the show before this? Do you think, Tommy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our last show. Yeah, Tommy show Arthur you... from the Lost Abbey. Right. Uh, well, that yeah. was weeks ago, I guess. But if you're listening live, it was just a few minutes ago. Um, or if you're, or if you're gang listening, as I've, I've, <laughs> I've learned that that has since caught on. I've now, uh, now heard, seen people like posting in the forum or uh, saying gang listening. Hashtag. Can we hashtag that? Hashtag <laughs> yes. gang listening. Yes. Great. So yeah, hopefully you're gang listening to uh, all these shows. <laughs> Especially the last one with uh, Tommy Arthur. We squeezed mm. a lot into an hour. What a, you know, what an amazing opportunity to talk to. Really, I mean, no joke. Uh, craft beer in the United States is young. I mean, you think about the OGs of craft beer, and you think about a brewery like Sierra Nevada and Anchor. You know, that's like that's seventies, right? So, some of the brewers who are getting more experimental, introducing sour beer to the American market. They started, like Tommy said, he started in 98, you know, around the turn of the century. So the great American sour brewers, they've been doing it for 50. These are the guys we've been talking to. Like, it's it's like talking to the first class of the Baseball Hall of Fame where it's like Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, you know, Christy Mathewson. Maybe this means nothing to anyone listening. Bevo? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Beaver no. does not know Christy Matthews. Though. She she just marries toothless, uneducated alcoholics. She doesn't watch them on TV. Okay, yeah. gotcha. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is we had, you know, one of those Babe Ruth type people. And when it comes to American sour beer, we have a really unique opportunity to talk to these people right right here and now and on this show. And it's just, you know, sometimes it I, I get a little goosebumpy thinking about it you know it's this is this is it this is when it's starting this is when it's happening and it's not going away it's setting the stage too for for new brewers like i i wonder what the percentage of new breweries opening uh in the united states or around the world for that matter are starting with a, a barrel program right out of the gate right it's a lot i mean i don't think it it's is 50, a, it's i don't think it's 50 percent but it's it's somewhere near that. I mean, a lot. I, I just was over the weekend in uh, Lake Tahoe doing some snowboarding. We actually got some uh, uh, precipitation here in California. Shredding the gnar. <laughs> got some gnar power runs in, bro. <laughs> I went to Alibi Aleworks, which I've mentioned on the session years ago, and they've, they they took forever to get open, shockingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are just another one of those breweries that hit the ground running with the barrel program right out of the gate. Right. And they got their kettle soured beers. They got the you know they got Berliner on mm-hmm. all the time and they got uh, wood age stuff coming out that was spent you know three four months whatever but tastes like it spent two years just really high quality stuff and and right from the start yeah it's it's a really exciting time because everyone wants to make beers uh like the beer we have in our glass which is red poppy from the lost abbey we realized uh after we finished up with uh tommy that we had this beer to open so uh we're drinking it now on the q a show yeah i remember that i didn't drink it to my face i actually i accidentally didn't and it was sitting there so we drank it yeah somehow this uh this past the scott you know fishing pole and fishing line and despite my best efforts that he uses to swoop all the beers from right. uh, wherever we are right although now. you'll notice now that it's completely in your hands there's no beer ah. and not because you're drinking it just because there's no beer and that's how it works as yep. soon as i am not involved there's no beer yeah isn't that I, interesting i guess so hmm. this is this is your point although i've had i've gotten beer before and then i get to keep some of it and then just bring a few bottles of <laughs> oh well, you're keeping some of it oh you're such an asshole well I i'm procuring the beer scott so anyway this is uh <laughs> 
another topic maybe off air <clears throat> yeah. of sourcing beer. But please, uh, if you are listening, call us, save us from this topic, 888-401-BEER. Join us in the chat. We got a lot of good calls and uh, participation in the last show. So we definitely encourage you to join in on this one. Uh, email us feedback, Scott at the Brewing Network, or questions, Scott or Jay at the Brewing Network. Not that now, exact email address. immediately picturing people going, S-C-O-T-T-O-R-J-A-Y at the... No, Scott no. with one T, right? <laughs> I still get that all the time. Now I think people are just doing it on purpose. But there are some people who are not listeners, like other people in my life, who I don't know them well, but mm-hmm. now, now it's, it's becoming a regular thing now, the one T. The universe is screwing with me. Hashtag Scott with one T. Hashtag gangless. I'm going gonna, gonna to start <laughs> spelling J with two Y's. There J-A-Y-Y. You go. That's how you spell your name, right? I, I had a substitute teacher in eighth grade, and I was kind of a little shit back then. Not just back then, but uh, I, I convinced the sub that my name was just J. But I said... Just the letter J. No. My name is just J. J-U-S-T-J. Oh, that it wasn't it wasn't funny to anyone but me, but I I was all about it. That just made my day. <laughs> Good memories. Okay. Um, yeah. Subscribe if you like this sort of nonsense talk. Um, leave feedback on the iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. What else? Oh, I can talk about stuff now that we don't have to. Uh, cram in the interview that great interview with tommy we got a lot of good information on that but we're doing questions so i can talk about a little bit of the new stuff happening at the rare barrel up at the top please so we got a new tank in and i hesitate to name what type of tank this is out of respect so that's the setup but let me explain now so we have a tank and it's a three barrel tank it's got a kind of a chamber in the middle and two a false bottom that's uh sort of graded it doesn't allow solids to go through but liquid can pass and then a false top so what you do is you put ingredients in the middle of it and then you recirculate beer through it the ingredient stays in and the beer comes out with the flavor extracted from the ingredient now some of you listening may think that this tank is it sounds familiar and you'd be correct because uh one of the biggest brewer craft brewers have devoted a whole large brand to it um, and they have many of them at their location. Scott, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I need it's, a Cali- it's it is a California brewer, but it's a little farther north. Oh, Sierra? Yeah. Is it really? And I, I what's think, the tank yeah. called? Uh, is it Torpedo? Oh, that's correct. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> How did you know that? Um, I got my yeah. ear to the ground. There you go. But out of respect to them, we actually don't call it a Torpedo. So I kind of view it as... You know, we we make sour beer at the Rare Barrel, but we would never, ever call it Lambic or Goose because that is, you know, that's their thing in in Brussels and Belgium. That's the beer they make. We make sour beer. So in the same way, out of respect to Sierra, we do not call this tank a torpedo. Instead, we call it, we have named it Chet the Bropedo. So it's a Bropedo. Uh It's in a frat. It's 21, just started to drink, can fit three barrels of beer in its belly, and it loves sour beer. Uh, isn't that uh, offensive to your female staff members at the Rare Barrel? Only oh. if he gets drunk, oh. then he gets really offensive. <laughs> but no, as a, you know, a fraternity member myself, I'm, I should be the only one offended, but... Or just think you just call it the, the pedo, you know, because what do you, hate women or something? Well, no, 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 no. That's, you're, <laughs> you're off the rails now. <laughs> 
But anyway, so this this tank uh, is designed to you know put hops in from you know Sierra's yeah. d- initial design. So we, you got a brand new, right? You didn't get it from Sierra, did you? No, no. Yeah, we got a a, a new tank. Um, but we we use a lot of spices in our beers. So we're going to start, and what we usually do is put the spices into an oak barrel. Um, but we found it hard to get the spices out of the oak barrel. Also, the spices would impart their flavor into the oak, and there's a little bit of carryover from that batch to the next one. So all these factors added up to, hey, why don't we try out this bro-pedo idea and use it for our spice beers? Is there anything like it on the homebrew scale? Yeah, I think if you can get something like a hop back, that's a hot side sort of equivalent, but if you can get one that you can seal off and it's all stainless and you can, you know, clean it and sanitize it with regular procedures, I think you could definitely do that. Um, you'd want to click on any more, are there any more beer links on the Brewing Network website? Um, I don't think there's, oh yeah, yeah, if you go in the, the sponsors tab, yeah, you'll see more beer there. Either way, go to more beer and search their their stock. I think, you know, maybe the hopback would work. You can check it out. Just enter in the uh, in the comment section when you buy it. Thank you, Scott, with one T, for recommending this to me. And then just that's it. Uh-huh. Hashtag gang listening, hashtag Scott with one T. And we'll see how many uh, <laughs> we'll see how many comments we get back from more beer on that one. Uh-huh. But yeah, that that's kind of the equivalent. So anyway, we we made our first beer with this Bropito, and uh, we mentioned it on the last show. Actually, it was in your glass. It's uh, our ginger sour sour tooth tiger. Mm-hmm. So I bring this up uh, mostly because I wanted to share kind of some updates to our our methods and things that we've seen in our barrel aging program. You know, I know I realize that not everyone will have the the motivation or the space or the funds to get something like this. But I mentioned it because, you know, I want to mention when we change things in our program, when we learn from other brewers, when we uh, learn from what we do. So I think that's a, a, you know, a recurring topic on, on the sour hour. So quick update there on that. So you're going to get more of these things. (laughs) Well, actually it's funny you mentioned that. So we got, we got the bro pedo and, uh, we posted it on social media, and then we saw it was either shortly before or after that our friends over at uh, Perennial slash Side Project, Corey King, who was on one of our first shows, mm-hmm. they got, uh, I don't know what they call theirs, but, you know, in air quotes, torpedo tank. And, you know, there's a little friendly rivalry there between uh, us and Perennial. So what I did is I expertly mocked up a photo of us getting two Bropedos. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, nice. Perennial, you, you thought you were good with one. Boom, we got two. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know if there's actually any reason to have two. Um, but the one is going to make a big difference for us. And, again, it's because we want to get those spices out of the oak barrel. A lot of times you'll need to do that. Um just because of necessity, uh, but one thing we found is we're better off getting them out of the oak barrel and into a tank instead. So just a just a brief um, anecdote there from the rare barrel. Other things I want to mention, uh, those of you who are listening who have maybe never had uh, rare barrel beer, I wanted to just mention that upcoming, you know, by the time this uh, pod comes out on the pod waves, it's going to be basically San Francisco Beer Week by mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. So... I just wanted to briefly mention a few events that we got going on. If you guys want to come out and check out some of our beers, um, the opening SF Beer Week Gala. Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. You say gala. Uh, some people yeah. say gala. 
What it's is it's a certain type of person? What Bevo? Can you chime in on this? Say gala. Gala, right? Yeah. Ga- gala. Mm-hmm. Gala. 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 No, it's gala. It is not gala. There's plenty of people who say gala, gala. but there's gala. It's gala. Gala. Opening gala, man. Gala. I don't know. I'm not fancy. I don't use that word. <laughs> Opening thing. Well, you're not invited to the, the gala. starting thing at the beginning. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go anyway. <laughs> the starting bang. <laughs> anyway, we'll be there uh, Friday, January 22nd. Uh, the next day, we're gonna have an event at the Rare Barrel, which is a fun thing. It's uh, what we call the reunion. Some of you who've been listening to the show or maybe uh, some of the sessions know that uh, I used to work at the brewery in Orange County. And while I was there, uh, it was me and two other guys who were doing most of the brewing at the time. And those two other guys went on to start their own brewery, a little-known society brewing company. Society. Societe Mm -hmm. in uh, San Diego. And they've had, obviously, smashing success. Their beer's awesome they've won tons of awards for their great hoppy beers and belgians and stouts and all that stuff uh so they'll be there at the rare barrel along with the brewery and we'll be serving beers from all three breweries and we'll be hanging out farting around talking about old times. so that'll be good this is uh now you did it last year right you did the first annual last year yes and i missed it and i regretted all year missing that damn party so when i didn't put it on my calendar right now uh, it is Saturday, January 23rd, starting at 2 p.m. Oh, I'm there, dude. It, it's it's just an awesome time because it's just friends, you know, coworkers who used to work together. We all miss each other, and we're just sitting around drinking our beers and, like I said, farting around. Mm-hmm. Your farts taste great. All right. And then uh, the Thursday following that, January 28th, we have a cellar night at the Rare Barrel. We're just bringing in old bottles, uh, old kegs, that uh, just beers we've done before, but aren't, we can't consistently put on tap. So that's a really great night to come along. And it's a little bit slower during uh, the beer week when it comes to events rather than, uh, you know, the Friday, Saturday stuff. And we're open regularly Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Last thing I'll mention, last plug, because I'm kind of droning on, uh, Rate Beer is having an event in Santa Rosa, which is a festival, and we will be pouring there on Sunday, January 31st. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe just one more, a little farther in the future. Beer Advocate, speaking of beer rating, they have the Extreme Beer Festival, first week of February, out in Boston, and we'll be pouring there. So, wow. People on the East Coast, you know, we were there last year. Wow. What an awesome festival. Awesome time. Love being in Boston. I get this. I saw snow falling. For the first time in my life. Wow, really? Never seen it before. I swear, yeah. You didn't grow up like going on you know ski trips or anything with the family. I mean, I did, but it was I, never fallen. No, not not falling. Hmm. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I got it. You know, s- snowflake on my tongue and <laughs> all that stuff. While well, I was like outside of a beer festival. Did you closely? All these dudes are like, "What are you doing, man?" <laughs> I'm frolicking. Did I am you, frolicking. Did you look closely at like uh, you know your jacket sleeve and watch mm-hmm. observe an actual snowflake? Yeah, yeah. They're just like the stickers. It's great. Yeah, they. Yeah, they're unique. I was just having a great time just being in the snowflakes. On that note, yeah, <laughs> that's the. That's oh. the <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect timing. So that's the that's the rare barrel rundown. Sour hour stuff. Uh, you know, we kind of recap the Tommy Arthur episode a little bit. Go back and listen to that for sure. Episode before that, we didn't get to mention during the Tommy episode was the Commons. Uh, we had Sean and Sam talking kettle sours, talking Brett beers, talking. Again, more award-winning brewers. That's kind of our our MO so far. Uh, we've got a lot of great brewers on the show. 
Um, yeah, so if you're if you are running a sour program and you want to get on the show, which I've gotten a few of those kinds of emails, mm-hmm. uh, just start winning some major awards, <laughs> and then we'll it's talk. A, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, I think you know I've got a list of brewers stacked up and a lot of people who want to be on the show, and I think we have a little bit of a backlog, but I definitely see us in the future mixing up uh, you know formats a little bit, maybe doing splitting the the two hours that we're here you know like we're doing tonight um covering styles more in depth with brewers who make them i know there's other shows on the the bn that cover that but really more from the the sour beer brewer perspective um talking to different yeast labs talking to different home brewers talking about equipment all those sort of stuff so i see the format kind of being very explorational and free just willy-nilly we'll see where it goes it's a nice way to put it because when i brought up uh the possibility of non-gold medal winning uh breweries being guests on the show jay uh threw down his hat uh and then stormed off and i didn't hear (laughs) from him for a week and then he finally called me and said how dare you and hung up so i'm I'm guessing it's just you know not in the cards unless you've won a major competition wow that that statement was a little more than 99 percent untrue (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but really, I mean, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to, you know, have a lot of friends whose beers I respect and, you know, they want to come on the show and they happen. Yeah, they happen to have a few awards. So, But then there's other brewers who are even us and they do have awards, you know, it's yeah. just like I'm, I'm, I'm getting through the list. You know, okay. give me, you know, how long we've we been doing it for a year, year and change, a, year and, almost a year quarter, and a half. Yeah, something like year that. and a quarter. So we're getting to it. Well, you know, there's a lot to get to because, you know, the rate of new breweries I've been hearing, the statistics being thrown around a lot in the recent weeks, two a day. Yeah. Two a day. And as we were mentioning, you know, a lot of breweries are starting right out of the gate with a barrel program. And mm-hmm. so by the time you finally start getting past, you know, there's going to be uh, – I hope there's going to be starting some new faces in, in the metal rounds of these sour competitions. Oh, the, yeah, there are, are there every year, though? Because I feel like a lot oh, of yeah. it is repeat oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. Okay. For sure. I mean, you obviously you notice more when the familiar names are I guess up there. that's it. But, yeah, I mean, plenty – and there's plenty of other brewers who are making – amazing sour beer who you know just for whatever reason don't win the medal it doesn't match the description or you know the judging is kind of a crapshoot so it's that's kind of the way it is but yeah i'm I'm really excited about the future of this show and where we're going to take it and you know you mentioned new breweries i think down the line um we'll be you know we'll have a show where it's like hey brand new brewers who want to start sour programs and then we'll have you know one brand new brewery just coming right out of the gate on the first hour and another one on the second hour, something, something like that. So we'll explore. We'll explore the space. For sure. I'm excited to do it. Me but, too. Man, I'm exhausted just talking about it. You know, <laughs> one, one show at a time. <laughs> oh, this life that All we right. built for ourselves. So exhausting. Uh, maybe question and then break? Sure. This is from uh, Aaron, local here in Daly City. Okay. Uh, he says... Um, what up, guys? What would you say is the best priming ratio for bottling sour beers? I have different batches that range from lacto, pedio, uh, and barrel mixed cultures fermented. Usually I double the amount of dextrose and add yeast, but half the time I still find that the final outcome is undercarbonated, especially with lacto-soured batches. They have a tendency to pour with a head and then quickly dissipate. These bottles have a range from about two months to three years, a huge range. Um, so I know bottle conditioning isn't a factor. Uh, I bottle around 004 to 000. Okay. Well, I try to write a lot of that down. 000 to 004. 
some things about head retention and basically mostly priming rate question. So yeah, that's priming ratio for bottling sours. You know, listen to what Tommy said on the last episode because he really got into an important factor, which is beginning CO2. And maybe now that we have a little more time, we can expand on that. So at the end of a fermentation, let's say you're making an IPA. It's fermenting. It's producing CO2. There's tons of CO2 in solution. And as the fermentation slows down and you get towards the end of it, uh, there's less production of CO2, but there's still a lot of CO2 in solution of the beer. So most uh, priming rate, and by priming rate we mean adding sugar to a bottle conditioning, most priming rate calculators on online factor in that you're talking about an IPA, which has a certain amount of carbonation inherent in the finished product, but it's not sometimes perceivable. So you may drink it and say, oh, there's, you know, that's flat. But really there's 0.5 volumes or 1 volume or 1.5 volumes, whatever it's going to be. I never really had to calculate that myself dealing with a lot of barrel-aged beer, but there's some value there. And that's what most of the online calculators use. When it comes to barrel-aged beer or in the homebrew case, you know, beer you've left in a carboy for two months, three months, maybe a year, maybe several years, there's going to be a lot less residual CO2 in those beers than there is in, you know, your standard IPA that you're trying to bottle condition, let's say. So you have to factor that in. And also it's an unknown, especially on the homebrew scale. So I think small scale trial and error is a good thing. Although consider that the error on the high end is exploding bottles. So you have to always factor in safety first. But if you're under carbonating, then I would say, you know, slowly start increasing your, your priming rate. Um, until and, a bottle blows up and now you know you've gone too far. No, until you've reached, you know, two and a half volumes, which is kind of like the standard rate. And then you can feel more comfortable saying, you know, I really want three volumes. And in that case, you may want to consider, you know, more sturdy bottles in case you're trying to age them for a long time. That's, believe it or not, the simple part of the answer. The more complex part of the answer is if you're dealing like we are at the Rare Barrel with multiple uh, yeast and bacteria combinations over many different beers and you're blending them all together, you have to factor in when is the beer actually done fermenting the sugars. So I'll give an example. At the Rare Barrel, our gold recipe usually finishes about 1.5 Play-Doh. And so let's see, I'm going to translate that loosely, I think, into specific gravity 0. 0.006, so a little bit higher than uh, this emailer had. And they stop right there. That's our typical yeast and bacteria mix. Um, there's a little bit of variation, 1.7 sometimes, maybe even 2. But we track stability week by week over the course of months to make sure that it's not continuing to ferment and it's stable and ready to bottle. I realize the home brewer can't really do that as much. Um, but we have other cultures at the Rare Barrel that ferment down to 0.5 Play-Doh. So if any of those cultures ever get into the cultures with that finish at 1.5 and then we put them straight into the bottle, there's a very good chance that over time that beer could overcarbonate. So we're cognizant of that. If we ever do a blending like that, we will blend those beers together and then put them back into oak barrels for further aging. We're monitoring the carbonation as we go. But, you know, on the homebrew scale, I would say stick to maybe a more consistent um yeast and bacteria mix. Uh, but your alternative, and I think the best alternative on the homebrew scale, and while it does take, you know, one tool out of your tool belt, 
a great way to go about it is forced carbonation. You keep it in your keg. You have it up on your kegerator. You can pull as much off as you want at any time. You can fill bottles at any any time you want. So if I was still a home brewer and I was making sour beer, that's the way I would personally do it. But I understand that people want to push the envelope. They want a bottle condition. So that's my best sort of condensed wrap-up of the complex issue of carbonation. But, you know, there's a reason that uh, Tommy, who had, you know, all these years of experience, and he did have challenges with carbonation at various times in the history of the Lost Abbey. He's been through it all. He had to buy very expensive equipment to overcome it. And they're finally kind of, you know, hitting their stride and consistently carbonating beer, like this red poppy in front of us. It's got great carbonation. So it takes time. It takes testing. But be careful. So how, when you're doing your monitoring over over months, and I think you've said it before, but how many months do you do that before you decide, okay, this is stable? Usually two months, so eight weeks of consistent readings. Okay, so why not say seven weeks? What, what's what's magic about two months? Well, we also bottle condition for two months, so it's almost like a simulated bottle conditioning. It's like, okay, oh, this is kind of near terminal gravity. So let's say we have a gold beer and it's at one point five Plato. That sparks something in our minds that says, oh, you know what, this beer tastes good. The yeast has dropped out of suspension, and it's at what this base recipe usually finishes at. So let's start monitoring it for stability. So monitoring it for stability is almost like a mock. What would happen if we put this beer into a bottle today? And if we see it start to go down, that means we restart the clock. Eight weeks starting at the week that it went down. So if two weeks in, it stays at 1.5, then it goes to 1.4, and then two weeks later it goes to 1.3, restart the clock on each one. Okay. So because we don't want that that to be happening in the bottle right. and that because that's going to produce overcarbonation. So it's basically like will this beer stay the exact same? Now, if you're keeping the same process and using the same yeast and bacteria, maybe you could feel a little bit more confident shrinking that down because you're seeing the same results over and over again. But really, we make if we're making the same beer again, it's one year later. So the most experience we have making a beer is making it three times. So that's how, you know, maybe we've been around for two years, but our oldest or most iterations of one beer is three times. So how much have we really learned about that? We still try to play it pretty cautiously. Uh, okay. That, well, let, let me, <laughs> that was one, a lot. One last part to Aaron's question okay, here. Okay. While you say that, I'm going to sip some beer. Okay. Yeah, please. Um, he just wants to know how fruited batches come into play. So, like, would he reduce the amount of dextrose and still add yeast to carbonate? Does fruit play in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we've had beer that is finished and stable, but then we add fruit to it. That's a whole. That's that's a restart. That's a right. whole new fermentation. So, what we look for in fruit refermentations is the gravity before we add fruit. After we add fruit, we add puree to many of our beers. If you have whole fruit or dried or freeze dried. Not all of that sugar immediately extracts out into the beer, so there won't be a big gravity swing. But when we add puree, or if you're adding juice or something like that, the gravity will spike up to a peak. You want to watch it go back down from the peak to the gravity that you started with. It'll be maybe 0.1 Play-Doh or ab above or below where it'll hit, hit exactly what it was. Um, but you have to monitor that over time, and that's going to be... 
you know, I've seen it go as fast as two weeks. I've seen it take as long as three months. So very complex. Again, sour beer, man, what a headache. <laughs> but um, if you add dried fruit or whole fruit, the extraction of the sugar is going to take a long time and it's never going to spike up. You know what I mean? So let's say you have a fruit puree or a fruit. It's easier to imagine as fruit juice. You add fruit juice to a beer. The gravity, the sugar content before is two, let's say. You add juice to it. What's going to happen in the gravity? It's going to go up, oh, yeah, right? Of course. More fermentables. So let's take that same beer, forget the juice, but you're going to add uh, peaches that you have cut in half and taken the pit out, and you're adding peach halves to the barrel. After you add all the peach halves, put them in there, you know, just halved, what's, what's the new sugar content? More or less than the juice? Got to be less. Way less, less right? It might not even be different at all because... Yeah. The liquid hasn't extracted the sugars from the fruit yet. Okay, right. So that's going to happen a lot slower over time, and it might not, might not change the gravity at all. So that might be more... Even over time, it wouldn't? It just wouldn't be able to leach out the peach essence? Well, think about it. But it will leach out the, the sugar, but the sugar is also being consumed at some other rate. Oh, interesting. So, so hmm. how are you measuring that over time? Basically, once you get to a good flavor, if you can remove the beer from the fruit... Then you can check for stability after that. So there's so many ways to go about it. But, hey, you know, excellent question. I hope some some parts of that ramble uh, no, made some it sense. Makes but sense. So wait, so in other words, it would be the sugars would be being consumed as they were leached. So you would never detect sure. a difference in the gravity it would only. Is that, is that right? So we make we make a beer called Apropos of Nothing. And that's a golden sour with elderberry and lavender. So we added uh, dried elderberry. To the, bar- to the barrels, and let's say the beer was at 1.7 Play-Doh, the, the highest we ever read the gravity was like 1.8 or 1.9, which is like barely a change at all. So, and we added a, a ton of fruit. Like that's, that's a very fruit-forward beer. So that kind of gives you the example that maybe the rate of the sugar getting into solution of a liquid is kind of... Uh, being, being being like canceled out, canceled out. That's a good way to put it. Uh, by the fermentation, right? So huh. it's it's coming out. It's getting eaten up, almost on a like a symb- symbiotic sure. relationship. Mm-hmm. So a lot of information there. I feel like my brain just got cracked <laughs> open, and a lot of words just came out. But uh, hopefully, some of that makes no, sense. Good. No, they were in they were in a discernible order. The words. Okay, yeah. that's good. I, mm-hmm. I blacked out. What happened? <laughs> I think uh, that was that's maybe our. Debate. Our first half-hour segment yeah. uh, for a Q&A show. So I don't know about you guys, but I need a break after that. Yeah, let's, but let's take a break. Let's come back uh, with more beer and more we'll get, questions. And more coffee for Jay. And more guy on <laughs> the Sour Hour. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft. 
craftbeer.com and click on Beer Styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the Brewers Banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable Draft Quality Manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. back shredding the gnar here on the sour hour regaling jay with stories of snowboarding over the weekend (laughs) speaking of winter you know what the perfect gift is this december scott for all your holiday needs uh whatever holiday that i I only think we do adam and eve spots on the session oh okay well i'm actually talking about the american homebrewers association oh membership yeah that's a turn on you should be given the gift of the aha this year so, but here's what you want to do. You want to sign up through the Brewing Network by clicking the link on the right side of the website. And you know what you're going to get for that? A free copy of Modern Homebrew Recipes from Gordon Strong. Man, that alone is worth it. Good book. But here's the catch, because there's always a catch. You have to enter the coupon code MODERN at checkout. But that's it. That's okay. all you got to do. Easy. And if you're listening to this show and you're not a member of the AHA, I mean, what are you doing? You got to get your stuff together. Exactly. New, at least if you don't do it December, New Year's resolution. I mean, come on. That, it's an organ. They really do a ton for homebrewing. The Home American Homebrewers Association. We homebrewing is now legal in every state. There you go. And that, that's a huge accomplishment, and that's all within the last few years, and it's all because of the AHA. Even Alabama. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Just, just checking. Which was actually devastating news for yours truly because they were writing the radio show for about two years with their debates from the floor of the house of the. Yeah. The uh, representatives or the whatever? damn winos. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You get the pub discount program. You get their magazine, Symergy, and then access to the forum, which has, like, you know, all these years of collective knowledge of all the homebrewers. So, I mean, you run into trouble on your Sunday brew, and, you know, you're... You know, I don't know where your uh, homebrew meeting is, but maybe you don't have your homebrew buddy's cell phone. You, you log on, type your problem into the forum, and you're going to get the answer there. So you should really be a member of the AHA. Check it out, homebrewersassociation.org, the perfect holiday gift. That's my PC read. Christmas gift. Wow. wow. Merry that's Christmas, Jay. Uh, inappropriate, this, you know, and I, do, I am offended. I, you know, I answer. <laughs> I, that's, I just answer people. They go, happy holidays. I say, Merry Christmas. There you go. I never say happy holidays. Screw that noise. Well. What holiday did you have in mind, Ace? That's Kwanzaa. Oh, what? You don't even celebrate Christmas. I, but I, I do, though. It's a national holiday. I'm an American. I, I do say, hey, I strung Christmas lights with you, you people. That was me celebrating it. But you're right. No, I don't celebrate it. But who cares? It's a national holiday. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's wrong with people? There are other days off that, you know, have no relation to me personally, and I gladly take them off <laughs> and go on trips. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's more true. Than, but I know it is true. And I don't I, care I, that I, it's a new year. You don't? Right. It, it's arbitrary, right? Well. Depends what calendar you follow, Scott. Yeah, I know, but we, we follow, we're in America, though. This, the, what is it, the Caesarean? 
calendar. Isn't that what happens when your kid won't come out your thing? I don't know. We're off topic. Welcome okay. back to the Sour Hour. <laughs> this is Bebo's favorite episode. <laughs> uh, we're just drinking beer and taking questions, so maybe mm-hmm. we can just jump back into that. Because I, I just railed last segment on something that I don't remember. It was good. Yeah. That was good I'm pod, to, pod waving? It was good pod. Okay, Here's cool. TJ uh, Tedro who says, uh, the fluff is at the bottom, but I'm going to read it first. He says, thanks for a great podcast. He, he's pitching, calling Lauren Salazar from now on Lauren Sourzar, like Sour C-Z-A-R. Stop it. No, come on. That's good. No. Lauren Sourzar? That's pretty mm. good. Hey, I like it, TJ. Don't listen right. to Right. Don't listen to Scott. <laughs> Okay. He asks, he's from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, He says, I'm trying to find a proper way of keeping sour cultures going from batch to batch to develop house cultures. Topic we've definitely touched on before, but specific questions. He said, uh, what are some of your recommendations for doing this properly on a homebrew scale? Uh, Would a lactobacillus culture have a different approach than a mixed culture? And then, yeah, start there. Uh, yeah, I'll start there by saying, yes, lactobacillus culture would be different. And, you know, with lacto, obviously you don't have any yeast in there, so there's less protection against outside forces, I would say. Harder to keep a lacto culture, just lacto. So, you know, I'd recommend stainless. I'd recommend transferring to that under pressure. You know, you think about uh, our episodes where we talk about kettle souring. The kettle sour brewers have their culture of lactobacillus. They add it to their hot wort in the kettle. Uh, that propagates throughout the kettle, which they've purged with CO2, and it's completely covered. And how they keep that culture going is they'll harvest it back, back into a little corny keg or whatever it might be, um, under pressure again and completely stainless. So that's much harder. Mixed culture, you're going to get drift. So we've talked about this uh, a lot over the show. Drift is when you know the yeast and bacteria that you start with get out of proportion or disproportionately affect what the fermentation character they're imparting on the word is. So in general, I would say that bacteria outcompete yeast over time. You can correct that. I think Tommy touched on this on the last uh, episode with the Lost Abbey in that he, you know, maybe will have a mixed culture that's designed for red poppy and he feels like, oh, the bacteria is taking over too much. So this is a Brett... I'm making this up, but he says, you know, this is a Brett C beer. I need to prop up a culture of Brett C and then put in a certain, let's say, 20% volume amount of the culture I have going that's been, they become too sour, too bacteria dominant into that new active yeast. So there's course corrections you can make, but again, another point that Tommy made that I really liked is he corrects it in blending. Now I realize on the homebrew scale, that's a little harder to do. I recommend having 25 carboys at your house, but, you know, you can't always do that. So, Well, I mean, and it is a little harder to do, but you you have heard how many times blending has come up on this show as one of the most important elements of producing an excellent end product in Mm -hmm. sour beer. And so if you're taking sour brewing seriously enough to listen to the show, and I know you guys are taking it very seriously. I mean, we've tasted your beers on this show, and you're you're killing it. And I think— is there an exception, can you remember, of the home brews that we've tried on this show where they were not blending, where we did not have a blended final product? No, not that I remember. There you go. I mean, it's really, it's imperative. Yeah. And so maybe there's just a new mantra we start, which is, you know, never one carboy. There you go. Always two. Because just try one variation on what you're doing. You know, you take your five-gallon clean beer, 
you know, we talked about how Tommy built some of his, uh, his beers off of, you know, base beers that he did. Uh, let's see, we had Cuvée de Tommy and Red Poppy. You know, this Red Poppy we're tasting right now is a combination of a mild and a lager. Those two beers combined go to barrels with their yeast and bacteria that are specially designed for Red Poppy. And, you know, that's a good way to do it. You know, you're doing different blends. And let's say you go to your gallon carboys that are for sour beer. Maybe one carboy gets lacto only. The other gets Brett and Pedio or something like that. Or one gets Rosalaire and the other one you build the Brett and bacteria from the beginning. So really the possibilities are infinite and with some rough uh, structure, there's really no wrong answer. I mean, home brewers and professional brewers are pioneering this right now today. And, you know, the answers you get in your home brewery may change where things go in the future. I mean, that, that for real, that's that's an exciting thing to be a part of. So there are best practices. We like to talk about them here on the show. But at the same time, reject the best practices. Question them. And I think that's a principle that every sour brewer needs to embrace. Let's go to another question here from uh, uh, Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy's question, as well as all tonight's questions, are brought to uh, you by our friends at SourBeerBlog.com, specifically the author, Matt Dr. Lambic Miller. Yeah. And I reminded everyone on a couple episodes ago, but go check out his latest article, the Fast Souring Article 2.0, which has updates based on you know, we're talking about a Q&A show right now. We have, we have feedback. He got a lot of feedback on his first article. There's some awesome updates in that new one. So definitely go check it out at sourbeerblog.com. And like Jay was just saying, you know, the best practice that's currently known is just because the next best practice hasn't been discovered yet. Right. So that's why knowledgeable folks like Jay or like uh, Dr. Lambic can do updates. I mean, when was the first article written? What's how much time in between that and the updates? Wow, when did we plug that? That was within the last year, yeah. but closer to a year than not. Okay, but less than a year. Yeah. And there you go. I mean, you know, things things change quickly. Absolutely. Okay, so here is Jeremy saying, uh, I love the show, guys. Question for Jay. As promised, I am going to get to some of the professional questions on how you started an all-sour brewery. So he wants cool. you to elaborate on the process. So let's get specific. How many barrels did you start with, and uh, what equipment did you need when you got started? I'm chuckling to myself because... We had a empty warehouse with 220 oak, empty oak barrels in it for quite a long time. Um, for some reason, I just decided to get the oak barrels right away. Actually, I remember why it was because <laughs> I know why it was. Uh, we we took a hold of our warehouse in about late October, and it's a tough time for wine makers and winemakers, depending on. This is something I don't understand very well, and but it affects me uh, disproportionately in my job. But sometimes winemakers have a great harvest, and they need lots of wine barrels, and sometimes grapes don't grow or something, and then they don't need as many, and the wine barrels are cheap. And every fall, this changes a lot of what I do. So I'm always cognizant of that uh, for the, let's see three years now that it's happened. So I was like, I need, you know, we need to be able to start this brewery. I just need barrels now. So I got them way early uh, and I got a lot, but we had a, started with a big space. I was also coming from a brewery that when I left, they had 1500 wine barrels dedicated for sour beer, 1500 dedicated for clean bourbon barrel and other spirit barrel aged beers um, at the brewery in orange County. 
And so, you know, I knew how to run a barrel warehouse of that size. So basically that's how I designed it. Um, that's how I started up other equipment, um, fermentation tanks, pumps, bottling line, labeler, keg washer, kegs, you know, just typical brewery stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, you need a lot. And I think maybe one misconception that has developed about how we started is that, you know, we started this project and, oh, you know, we didn't, we didn't build a brewery at first. And that was, that made it everything so much cheaper. It's like, no, that everything was super expensive and we're still hurting from that. And guess what? Also the beer takes about a year on average to make. So it's not, uh, I love sour beer and I never regret, you know, the decision we made, but it's hard. It's hard work just like any other brewery. So, um, get into it for the love of sour beer. Um, not just because you think you can, Oh, I'll just grab a few oak barrels and start up cheap and be able to make great sour beer and sell it for a lot of money. That's not really, that's not really the way it works out. What about that bottling line? You, I know it was part of your plans mm-hmm. from day one to bottle, but what if you had a, a taproom situation similar to the rare barrels and you could, you could get enough sold over the counter and, and not, in other words, could you have started without bottling? No, no way. Huh? Why not? Because aren't you making more money over the over with the draft sales anyway? Uh, I I don't know about more money, but I mean it's just you know draft means to to us it means that you can drink beer at our tap room. We don't sell a lot of draft outside of the tasting room. Um, that a lot of that has to do with distribution laws and you know selling it to a retail account, which means we don't make as much money on it selling bottles that's the i think that's the best way to consume sour beer actually you sell it right to the customer they take over the seller manship of those bottles and there's a romanticism there we bottle condition our beer it's it's your turn now to look after this beer maybe you buy three bottles or something like that you drink one now you drink one in six months kind of check in to see how it's going you talk to your friends online say Hey, you know, how's the map of the sun tasting? It's like, oh, it's really good right now. I would open it. And, you know, maybe you open your last one there. So I think it's sour beer is just better in bottles, but I, I don't think we'd be able to sell. If we were a draft only brewery, like a sour beer brew pub or something like that, I don't think it would work out. Hmm. But I, I should also preface all of this and some of these like business related questions is that, you know, my position at the rare barrel is director of blending and brewing and, you know, take my advice with a, a grain of grain. That's a joke. <laughs> Beepo loved it. Um, <laughs> you did that thing where her eyebrows are super high, but the lids of her eyes are very sarcastic she's, looking. She, I don't know if she's angry or sleepy. Yes. She's also wearing a yes, hood. Yes, to both. Um, so anyway, I, what I'm trying to say is, you know, business is not my game. Brewing is. And, uh, you know, I, I don't mean that to say, like, you know, don't ask me any questions about this. It's just I feel like the purpose of the show is to make making sour beer better. Um, and I'm not the best person to ask about business-related things. But also, I don't know yet, you know. We're, we're two years old. Yeah. And... You know, no two-year-old brewery is out of the woods yet. So it, it's risky starting a business and, you know, 
this while this podcast may be around, maybe the rare barrel won't. You know, you never know. You never know in business. I don't take it for granted. That's true. You know, and when I said earlier, like, aren't you making more money on this? It's a, it's a misleading way to phrase it because no, no one's making much money no matter what we're doing. I was only talking it's, about it, margins. Yeah, it, it's beer. Yeah. And, you know, we're not selling yachts and we're not in it to buy yachts, which is good because can't afford yachts. Just a regular old boat would be fine. A 35, 40 footer, you know. I think if you're, you know, you get to the point of being like Yusuf from Ballast Point. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I, then know, we can depending talk on how you are able to grow to that size and how much of your company you give away, maybe you could buy a yacht now, but it's it's a one in a thousand shot at least. Well, and this is not um this is not groundbreaking advice by any means, but what Jay just said about the difference between sort of the technician of your craft and the business acumen are not related. And you can be sure. a really good, uh, whatever, you know, you're, you're a baker and I can, I can mm-hmm. bake the shit out of a pie. Everyone loves my pies, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'd be good at running a pie shop. <laughs> anyway, I, and I, I, just, I, I, I just love picturing you as a baker and people coming in and saying, Hey, Hey Scott. Yeah, bake the shit out of this pie for you. I'm awesome at baking pies. You know what? I'm actually going to go down the road. I'm no thanks, but no thanks. Like, wait, where are you going? Scott with One T Baking Company. <laughs> but, but no, you're, you're, yeah, your point you know, is well taken. And again, I, I understand. Like, this is I'm not the first person to to say that, but it's important sure. to not you know partner with with people that do know what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I feel like I've done. But again, it's like we're not. We're not experts in this. We're the our our business is only two years old. So, you know, I think I feel like my role on the show is more about, uh, you know, curating the ship of sour beer knowledge, getting good people on the show who know what they're doing. And are you you're laughing at me being a seaman on a ship? <laughs> it's no laughing matter. I, I'm sorry. A, I'm actually a terrific sailor. You can ask Alex about that. We went on our sailing trip. Yeah, you did. Crushed it. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, T- tightening the sheet, yeah, I can all, do that. I don't pro- know what that is. All but. protected waters, though. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it was pretty easy actually. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard. It's very hard to start a craft brewery, and while you know you're all you know some of the people listening are going to try to do it or in the, they're in the process of doing it, you know, you guys are doing good things. You're listening to the Brewing Network, and I, I honestly I don't know that many people have started a brewery who have not heard a podcast from the Brewing Network. So I think it's an important step. And hopefully if you're going to start a sour beer program, you're learning the fundamentals from this show. I, you know, I hope we're accomplishing that along the way, but you know, as for the, the pluses and minuses, I would not trust. I wouldn't trust my own opinion on that. Yeah. 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 Screw starting a business. Drive for Uber. Call it a life. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. All right. We got more questions to get to, but I I want more beer. This is fun. The show is more fun than the business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just got to figure out how to get a, a major syndicator to uh, pick us up so we can just yeah, do the show. Yeah, got to get paid for the show. Yeah. You know, got to get make that money, fake that bread, <laughs> that break those delicious pies. Oh, Bebo's doing something else. <laughs> All right. Do you have any uh, pie-related questions, Scott? Um, yeah. What do, you, what do you go for? Like a peach cobbler, pumpkin? What's your favorite? Are you talking flat top or crisscross? You know what I'm talking Ooh, about? Yeah, the pie I do. Top? I do. Uh, uh, well, see, because crisscross now, now you got no pumpkin. That's not an option. You, yeah, you don't see a lot of tops or crisscrosses on pumpkin. But no. why? Like, why not? Well, because what? I guess you just do more crust on top of it, and then pumpkin filling in the middle. I suppose you could. Yeah, I think yeah. we have some more questions on this. We'll be right back on the pie hour. Oh. 
Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at BrewersPublications.com. We are back. A lot of pie talk. Heated, heated pie talk. Heated pie talk. I, I didn't hear anything from Bevo on the pie front. Favorite pie? Apple crumble. Okay. Yeah. Is D- that like Dutch, Dutch apple? apple. Yep. Okay. That's I can I can I can go for that. Or berry. Mixed berry. Mixed berry. Mm, um, now you're starting to lose me. No. I've had some terrible berry pies, but I've had one mixed berry pie. It was at a place steakhouse in Washington. It's the best pie I've ever had. Hmm. I keep trying to recreate that experience and failing. Oh. Oh. I, I just don't understand why chocolate pie isn't like a top pie. Top of the pie heat. So chocolate pie is Jello pudding yeah, exactly. in a pie Thank crust. Thank you. That's uh, what I've been saying. Like, I will make you a look. Done. You can, I will make you a chocolate pie. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, she's It'll just going to open the Jello pack and dump it into a tin. And, and yeah. you, got, you guys haven't had like legit adult chocolate pie. I'm going to look up some recipes. I guess not. Actually, more accurately, during this segment, Bevo will probably look up recipes no. to prove that, that the only chocolate pie is Jello chocolate pie. <laughs> Please. But I think you can make a better pie than that. Anyway. You know who makes the best pie? Wine. People from Wisconsin? Yeah. They make great pie, just like the people at the wine when, and hop yeah, shop. That's what I thought. Yeah, and then you're right. Good segue. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a professional podcaster. Wineandhop.com. They are carrying not only many different pie, pie crusts and pie pans, but they're also carrying omega yeast and giga yeast. They have awesome breads and lactos and blends of those types of deals. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds, which those will be. Unless you get like some like mince meat pie bullshit. Heavy, heavy meat pie. Yeah, meat pies. Kevin knows what I'm talking no, about. No, I, cha- I changed my answer. You like meat pies? Yeah, okay, yeah that's up. a yes, a thumbs up. <laughs> Chicken pot pie might be my favorite yeah, pie. That's a, that's that's a, a pie. Good one, that yeah. counts as a pie. Yeah, for sure. sure. Savory pies. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, you know what almost gets to pie level is empanadas. It's got like the pie crust with, you know. Yeah. They're like stuff. turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, turnovers are good too. Um, Just like a churro is almost a donut. Just like you should be entering <laughs> BN shipping in the notes field <laughs> shopping cart with the discount taken out after checkout. Wine and hop shop doc. Wine and hop, damn it. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. Wine and 
com there for go. all your pie crust needs. And, you know, actually, if you're in uh, the Madison, Wisconsin area, you can just bypass the website altogether and march in the front door and announce that the Brewing Network told you that this is a hell of a place for a pie. And uh, can you please get me a blueberry crumble? Yes. And happy, see what they say. Happy retirement to uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison men's basketball coach, Bo Ryan. Good riddance. I mean, well, he'll be what? missed. He'll be missed. No, he was, he was a great coach. <laughs> but he just retired, like, today, a few hours ago. Oh, I know. Send I, heard, in I heard the second it happened. Yeah. You have the Madison Google alert? Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. <laughs> but it's mostly for Ashley, so I can... Never mind. Nope. Okay. Ashley Madison, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Next topic. Stop it. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Here's Chris Tracy writing in. Hey, guys. And Bevo. You're in parentheses, though. Uh, on, I don't really. <laughs> on your la- uh, see, he wrote in after we the uh, last broadcast with uh, Lauren Sauerzar. He said on your oh, last God. show with Lauren, she Please talked about <laughs> she talked about uh, her blending process. I had a question specifically regarding her comments on really sour, really acidic beers. Uh, she said, and I'll paraphrase. Um, I take the really sour barrels and set them aside together. Those barrels are really hungry and need to be fed, so something needs to be done with them regardless. So Chris says, I'm curious to know what she meant by this. What happens if you don't, quote, feed a really acidic bear uh, with more water by blending? I have several different sours aging in carboys and barrels with a couple of them on a, uh, a the super acidic scale. I tend to blend those acidic beers with the others when they are all ready. The problem is that they may take another six months, and I'm wondering what I would happen if I did nothing. Uh, they're two months on fruit at this point, by the way. Jay, I'm sure you must deal uh, with a big inventory of beers at different ages, stages, and flavor profiles. So how do you preserve beers like this until you're ready to blend? Or are you forced to do something with uh, the beer's schedule as opposed to yours? What would you recommend in this case uh, where I have a couple beers that are finished, but I don't have anything ready to blend with? Wowzer. That's a, that's a long one. That's like a big mincemeat pie of a question right there. <laughs> it's hearty. Yeah. Um, okay. Starting off with uh, Lauren's uh, terminology, I'd say it's sort of hard to describe what she's trying to say because she's so in tune with her culture, and that's that's the culture they use there. And they feed it. They have blenders, like uh, feeders. They, they have all these different names and then procedures for them. So I wouldn't, while it's great to know what, what they're doing and a lot of what they're doing is blending and it's just blending and aging and blending and aging and blending and aging. They just keep their culture going. So, but I wouldn't necessarily, if that's not your procedure, I wouldn't necessarily have the take away what her procedure is and apply it to yours. Unless you have a carboy or an oak barrel that you're just taking from and then feeding back and then taking from and then feeding back. It's it's not really an analogous situation. So that's that's one thing. Part two is, you know, what do you do with an acetic beer? I think one thing I want to bring up about this is acetic acid, I've probably said this before, but acetic acid is in every sour beer. Every sour beer has acetic acid. I should also say just parenthetically, as we refer to Bevo in the same way, parenthetically, but a parenthetical note here is that uh, ethyl acetate also occurs in every sour beer. So these are considered off flavors, but they're off flavors in excessive amounts or double threshold amounts or triple threshold amounts. And some people will taste a sour beer and say, this smells like nail polish, but then 99 other people will not say that. 
or some people will taste it and say, this tastes like awful vinegar to me and I can't drink a whole glass of vinegar. And then 99 other people won't say that as well. So when we talk about acetic acid or acetic barrels, we have to remember that sometimes acetic acid is a good thing. It, like I said, it's in every sour beer, can add a sharpness. Tommy talked a lot about this in his last episode. Um, so you have to use it as a tool, but also realize when you feel like you're dealing with, hey, this is not a beer anymore. This is vinegar. That's a too acetic beer, an acetic off-flavor beer. So if you're dealing with a beer that has acetic acid, but it's still a good beer, it's just a little too much sour for you, then that's a good beer to blend down. Um, would I add more wort or beer to it? Probably not. I'd probably, you know, we tackle that as this is a blending beer. Um, and then we have to balance it out with other beers that we have in the cellar. So that's how we tackle it at the Rare Barrel. How you do that at home? You know, I would have, mul like, you know, we were saying before, have multiple carboys. Go on to wineandhop.com, grab a few glass carboys separate them out and do some different experiments in your sour beer program so you can blend because that's what the big boys do. And when our beers come out tasting good, that's why they taste good. You know, it's not because we know so much more than home brewers. It's like, no, we have, I, ha I have a thousand oak barrels to blend, you know, and, we, and we're not afraid to dump the ones that don't taste good. Right. So it's not like we're killing it. We're, we're actually messing up quite a bit. We're dumping a bunch of oak barrels. So, you know, don't feel like, why, why are you making yourself hit it in one shot? You know, give yourself the same advantages that the pros have. Maybe this is an impossible question to answer, but could you ever envision the, the sour process getting it dialed into the point where you would never have to dump? Because, I mean, you're, you're sitting here as, a, as sure. one of the world's foremost authorities, whether you like it or not, on sour mm -hmm. beer. And... You know, even you, like you're saying, there's some barrels or dumps, and we just do a ton of blending, and there's just so much trial and error and unpredictability. And I guess, you know, there's maybe innovations that we don't even can't even imagine that are going to happen. But sure. could it ever be a process that is just dialed in? There's no dumps. You just, it's it's um, precise. Yeah. I mean, some people don't dump any beer. Um, but, but are they making the same thing all the time, though? Like That's what I would say. Yeah. So, Inherent in what we're doing at the Rare Barrel is that we're going to continue to experiment wildly, no, no pun intended, but just all over the place doing many different things with Saccharomyces, Brett, Lacto, PDO, looking for new strains of those, testing them out, looking for new processes, testing those out, looking for new ingredients and testing those out. We're always going to be pushing the envelope on the, all of those things and Luckily for hopefully for the people listening, reporting back on the the successes and just burying the failures deep down within our souls and never talking about <laughs> them again. Uh, no, I'm just joking. We we like to bring those up on here too. Um, but you know, we're never going to be that brewery that's not dumping beer. But hopefully, inherent in our process is starting small and then successes grow into bigger beers. You know, I was. I think telling you guys off air that I was re-listening to the show with uh, Tim from Sante Adarius and he had this great line about what they do with, you know, their sour program is, you know, he, he basically grew up bottle dregs of other commercial commercial uh, breweries. This might sound familiar to a lot of the home brewers listening and picked the ones that ended up being good and advanced them to more beer. 
and then just kept advancing the ones that were good until he had them and then they made beer and then he blended them together and then that's that was his health culture that's sante sour beer nothing wrong with that you no know? that's <laughs> a lot right with it sante makes incredible beer and i've been i feel like recommending that method over and over again that's if you don't want to spend a lot of time growing up the lab cultures the lab pitches just jump just cut in line you know take commercial brewers dregs and grow them up it's going to make your beer a lot better so I, I don't know if I'm kind of out on a ledge now. I don't know if that answered the question, but... I'm going to say yes. Let's go with yes. Let's do one more. What do you say? Okay. From Kenny. Uh, Kenny Carlson says, uh, long-time listener, first-time mailer, yada, yada. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations on maintaining a mixed culture initially being propagated from commercial bottle drags. Oh, what do you oh. know? We just talk about that. Okay. Would it be possible to basically uh, treat the mixed culture as a solera, or would you say the culture would change too much over time? Uh, both. I'd say you can treat it as a Solera, but you have to monitor the changes over time. A lot of people correct this, and really what you're talking about is acidity becoming too dominant over time. So ways to correct this are adjusting by adding more Saccharomyces beer or Britannomyces beer to the culture to kind of damper down the the bacteria that are in the mixed culture. Or just increasing, uh, I think we've heard some from some other brewers who just brew a hoppier beer. So that that will discourage uh, bacterial growth in some cases, unless you have a very hop-tolerant lactic acid bacteria. Um, so there are a couple of different ways to do both in that case. But yeah, I you know I think that's how a lot of people are doing it and doing it well, where they're taking you know we have this red poppy beer that there's some beer left in, and maybe I have my you know one gallon of mixed cultures of other beers that I've had at bottle shares and stuff and. I'm just walking over to it and pouring it in. Now you can get a lot more sanitary than that. You can get flames and stainless steel funnels and, you know, sterile wort, canned wort and all this stuff that we have all that at the brewery. But, you know, if you're at home, just keep adding stuff to it. As long as it tastes good, keep putting it in beer. You know, it can be that easy. There you go. Sour beer. It's that easy. That's our tagline. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kenny was writing in from uh, Sweden. I've been seeing a lot of international emails and and comments about the show, which is pretty exciting. That is cool. Yeah. All righty. I'm tired. Me too. I feel like I, well, I talked a lot more in that last episode than than Tommy, you know, when you get someone like Tommy on, you know, you, you alley-oop it to him and you let him slam dunk it. I know it's much easier that way. Well, it's easier, but it's also what I want to do. You know, it's, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. you know, maybe one day I'll know half of what he knows right now. But, I mean, this is an OG of sour beer. So definitely go back and listen to the Lost Abbey episode. Um, That's why it's, you know, like who, you know like a Barbara Walters gets, uh, you know, so much credit for just being like a, you know, groundbreaking journalist, etc. Mm-hmm. She's just alley-ooping it. Just ask a question and let the content be provided by somebody else and all of a sudden you're a genius. Yeah. So nice. So you're saying one day I could be maybe Barbara Walters. Maybe, if you're lucky. If there was a View, a show like The View, and you had pro brewers on it, who would be on it? How much? How many seconds do we have left? <laughs> Let's okay. see. The view, well, I mean, you kind of got it on the session. You got Tasty. You got Doc. True. Not Justin, but yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think about that. We'll 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 put something together. We'll we'll, we'll write a treatment. All right. Okay. Well, for Scott Bevo, Barbara Walters, and myself, this has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.
We make bad beer all the time. You should taste some of these beers. They're really bad.